First of all, about the word Zen. This is a term that has more or less entered the English language. Um, in fact, it's become used in a way that really has little bearing on what it originally meant. We talk of architectural styles being Zen. In, in, in French, it's even worse. You, you encourage people to rester zen, which means to stay calm, be cool. Le, le zen attitude, as you say in French. Uh, <clears throat> being cool, being relaxed, being kind of hip and with it. But the word zen, of course, originally simply means uh, meditation. In fact, it is the Japanese pronunciation of a Chinese character, which is pronounced uh, Chan. And Chan is the Chinese way of pronouncing the Indian word Jhana, Jhana or Dhyana, which means concentration or absorption. So what it goes back to essentially is rather is simply <clears throat> the practice of meditation. And at that level it has nothing particularly Japanese or Korean or Chinese uh, in its nature. It's simply about meditating. Now, in many ways, and we might get into some of this stuff during the retreat, Zen, or the, the Chan movement in China, which began, I suppose, really in about the 7th or 8th centuries, <clears throat> was a reaction against a rather philosophical, rather scholarly, rather academic, rather pietistic form of Buddhism, and it was a return to the simplicity of what the Buddha actually did on his way to becoming the Buddha. And essentially that was putting aside all of the things that had preoccupied him and simply sitting beneath a tree. And that I think is really the, uh, the very heart of the idea of Zen or Chan, or meditation. It's to put aside everything that we have learned, everything that we know about Buddhism, for example, about Zen, for example, and simply come back to um, a very uh, raw and a very intimate awareness of what is happening in and around us right now. Zen is also sometimes described as um, a direct transmission from mind to mind outside of letters and scriptures. Now, whatever that might mean, <clears throat> I think what it <clears throat> comes down to, in a sense is again a return 
to something that we we feel, we intuit, we sense, and which yet we can't quite manage to find the words to express it. It's something very, very central to what we are, a sense of being alive, perhaps, a sense of being here rather than not being here, something very, very basic that eludes definition, description, the language of philosophy, of religion. And that, I think, is, at least for me, what is meant by this idea of being outside of theories, descriptions, texts, Buddhist sutras, whatever it might be. We're trying to touch base with what we are without laboring or covering that with any theories, with any views. So there's a something about Zen which is about a basic honesty with ourselves. A willingness to just be with what's happening without clutching or holding on to any kind of theory or belief or um, doctrine or philosophy. Just putting all that aside and coming back to our ground of just sitting here. Elsewhere in, in, um, in the Zen tradition, you find the idea that Zen is concerned with what the Chinese call the great matter of birth and death, which again is a slightly more elaborate way of um, pointing to this fundamental condition of being here rather than not being here. The fact of having been born and yet having been born inevitably facing only one certainty, and that is at some point you will cease to be here. You'll die. Birth and death. The real kind of um, raw basis of, of what we are, of who we are. But Zen is also a tradition. It lays quite some importance on the idea of, of continuity from one from a teacher to a student, to another student, going back perhaps to the Buddha himself. And in this sense, this retreat that we do once a year is an honoring of our own training in a, a Zen monastery in Korea called Songwangsa, and our training with our teacher um, uh, Kuzan Pangjang Sunim. And every year since we've left the monastery, with the possible exception of one or two years, we have uh, led this retreat at Gaia House. This must be about the 26th or 27th time we've done it. Um, which is, to a considerable extent, um, our way of honouring our own background, our own training, our own tradition, and honouring the teacher and uh, the others with whom we practiced and who taught us what we're now trying to communicate to you. 
Now, there are certain elements of this uh, retreat <coughs> that um, <coughs> will have a somewhat formal quality to them. That, For those of you who haven't done a Zen retreat before, who may have simply sat in a, a Vipassana or a, a, more, a less formal Buddhist meditation uh, practice. As you can see, we're seated in a rather funny way. And the reason for this is because we're going to be sitting and walking in this same space. Um, we'll explain this. It's actually very simple. But basically, we'll sit for periods of 30 or so minutes. Those of you on the outer side will face the wall. And those of you on this side, the inner part, will look inwards. And this somewhat mirrors how, in a Zen uh, hall, the monks uh, tend to face the wall uh, to try to minimize the amount of visual information that's going on. In other words, you have the support of the group, but at the same time, you feel maximally on your own. All you see is the wall and the carpet. Admittedly, those in the middle, you'll probably see a bit of the person on the other side. But the idea is to try to um, find a, a way of sitting in which you feel supported by those of us here, and yet also you feel very much on your own. Now, this brings us to the question of posture, which again in some Zen traditions is considered to be very, very important. But that's largely, I think, an idea that is stressed in Japanese Zen rather than in the Korean tradition where, to be quite honest, there's very little importance attached to how you actually sit. There's a much more laid-back attitude. Now, nonetheless, particularly for those of us who are maybe not used to sitting cross-legged on the floor... Um, it might be quite painful at times, especially once we've been doing this day in, day out for two or three days. You might find it quite hard on your knees or on your back. And this will perhaps particularly be true for anyone who has some physical pro problems in the lower back or in the hips or whatever. If need be, please use a chair. And there are chairs in the back room there. And you can just bring them in and sit on them. There's no great um, uh, intrinsic advantage to sitting cross-legged because you think that's the way it has to be done. You'll see, for example, that Martin sits on a chair, whereas I prefer to sit cross-legged, um, and largely because of our bodies more than anything else. So if you want to sit cross-legged, um, and if you're not used to it, try to find a posture, um, if possible, where your knees are on the ground, not sort of up here somewhere. That'll be quite painful. But to have the knees on the ground, and this means that very often to experiment with the number of cushions you're sitting on so that you're able to get that angle 
between your hips and your knees uh, in such a way that it's not uh, too uncomfortable. You can, if you're used to it, of course, you can sit in a half lotus posture, which is very solid, very firm. But be careful if you haven't a long experience of this. It can also be quite painful, and it could even cause damage in your hip joint. I would suggest uh, something like this, which is sometimes called the Burmese posture, where you have your... Just stand up if you're interested. It's not terribly exciting. But um, to have the knees on the ground, to have one leg just in front of you like this, and then you can hold your hands like this, your right on your left hand, or the other way around, I always forget. That is the classical posture. Okay, You keep your hands at about the level of the navel. But I personally find it more comfortable and more appropriate for my own body to place my hands on my knees. But it's up to you, really. The important thing is not the following of some strict formula, but rather finding a way in which you can sit comfortably, or more or less comfortably, for the duration of the sitting period, and you feel... And I think this is the essence of the posture. It's how you feel in your own body. Do you feel grounded? Do you feel balanced? Can you breathe freely? That's, I think, the crucial... uh, Those are the crucial criteria. Now, the back is important to try to keep the back upright not militarily rigid, but just upright in the sense, in following the curvature of your own spine. Noticing if you are tensing or cramping your shoulders in any way. Try to let the shoulders, the arms rest loosely in the shoulder sockets so that you don't feel any, any tightness there. And incline your head slightly so that your eyes naturally come to rest at a point about three or four feet in front of you. Now you can close your eyes if you wish. You can keep them open. You can experiment with that. There's no right way of doing it. Um, If you want the middle way, then keep them half open or half closed. So you just get a sort of a a blurry kind of visual effect without really seeing anything too precisely. But again, you need to perhaps experiment with this a bit if you haven't done this sort of meditation before. I mean, a broad rule of thumb, if you're feeling sleepy, open your eyes. If you're feeling very hyperactive and your thoughts are racing all over the place, close your eyes. I find that to be quite helpful. But the basic thing is to feel upright, balanced, where you can breathe freely and you feel grounded and solid. That's the important thing. Now, we're going to break the day. Is the schedule up yet on the board? Is the schedule on the board? Okay, good, all right. Um, 
there are going to be periods um, uh, in the morning and the afternoon particularly where we'll have three periods of, of sitting um, follow, inter, you know, interrupted by periods of walking around the blocks of cushions. We'll be going anti-clockwise around these blocks. We'll, ex- we'll explain that t- uh, tomorrow when we start doing it rather than trying to describe it now. But the, diff- the periods of sitting and walking will be uh, regulated or indicated by the striking of this uh, stick, which is called in Korean a jukpi. This is a jukpi. Now, a jukpi, very simple tool. It's a piece of wood with a cut down the middle, and when I hit it, it makes that noise. So instead of a bell, we're going to use this jukpi. Now, at the beginning of a block, in other words, when we start sitting after the instructions in the morning, when we start sitting after lunch, we begin the overall uh, period with three strikes of the jukpi. That formally uh, sets the tone for the next two or two and a half hours or so. And that means we sit. After 30, 35 minutes, the jukpi will be struck once. That means that the formal sitting period has stopped and it's a sign to then just stretch your legs in preparation for standing up and walking. That will be the signal to stand up. And then when everybody's standing up, that's the signal to start walking. Now it, sound, if, if you're not, it might sound a little bit strange in the abstract. In practice, it's very simple. And then we'll walk for 10 or 15 minutes. And then to mark the end of the walking period... And that's the sign to return to your cushion and to start the next period of sitting, which will then be concluded with and then stretch the legs. Oh, have I got that right? Walk. Walk. <laughs> anyway, it's easier to do it than to talk about it. But that's the general... I mean, you'll get very used to this by the middle of tomorrow. It's very easy. Um, And we'll demonstrate the walking uh, when we start doing it tomorrow. Now, there's one other thing that we're going to be doing on this retreat, which again is uh, very much part of the tradition. And that is first thing in the morning, which will be at about quarter to seven, we will perform a short ceremony of three bows. And we'll also do the same thing um, before the last sitting in the evening. So the day will begin and the day will end with a very brief ceremony. Now, again, it's probably best that uh, we illustrate this more 
Well, no, I better do that because we'll, we'll do one tomorrow morning. Um, this too is indicated by. The, yeah, you do the thing. Um, first of all, we, we, we're going to be. We're going to, Well, when, Martina, you do it there so they can see. But I want to just say a few things about what's going on in the order. We, we offer a candle and a stick of incense and a bowl of water. Uh, and we offer them to the figure of uh, Guan Yin, who's the Bodhisattva of Compassion, the Chinese uh, female form of that Bodhisattva. And of course, all to the, to the Buddha who's sitting up there. Now, we have to remember that when we're doing this, we're not bowing to some idols. Now, the statues are just symbols of what uh, qualities we might aspire to develop through meditation and other activities. Uh, compassion, in the case of Guan Yin. Um, awakening, enlightenment, in the case of the Buddha. And we're honouring those qualities by offering light and incense and water, things that we experience all the time, that we need, that are basic for our lives. Things we smell, taste, touch, drink, illuminate our world with. And we offer those qualities rather than to our, our sort of self-centred, egoistic uh, enjoyment. We offer them to compassion and to wisdom. And the bowing is just a, a formal way of acknowledging that commitment. So, Martin will show how to... We start with a, a half bow. And then one. Again, you don't need to be too precise about this. Some of you might have done prostrations in other traditions. Please do it that way. And then at the end of the third bow, Martine raises her hands, stands up, and then concludes with that. Now, again, once we've done this a couple of times, it'll be fairly straightforward. Uh, it won't be... Uh, at all odd or exotic. And um, as Martin said, if you have any reservations about religious ritual or whatever, then just, just uh, stand still. Okay, that's all I have to say. So I'm uh, I'm also very happy to be with you for this week of uh, meditation and then practice. And uh, I think first we have to, to be aware we come together. Some of you here have been to Gaia House before. Half of you have been on this retreat before. Some of you have never been to Gaia House. Some of you have never done this kind of meditation retreat before. So I think in a way to, to see that we come 
again from different places, different environment, different background. Also, some of us might feel totally fine and so happy to be here, and some people might be happy to be here but might feel very tired, or whatever might have happened before you come here. So in a way, to see that we, we come to a retreat, and at the same time, we bring to it whatever we come with. And so you know, to really accept that, to really accept our conditions. Because the first two days, generally, it's kind of really settling here, settling in the retreat, settling in ourselves, changing of rhythm. Because, you know, we might have been working, attending to things, meeting lots of people, and then we come here. And it's, you know, it's a much more slow pace in some ways, and there is, we'll be in silence, so it's a little strange for some people. And so to kind of, you know, really, we need to kind of arrive. So slowly, not only the body arriving here, but also the mind, the heart, so being really patient with ourselves, the first two days to really kind of, you know, fit in, finding the way to be here with the retreat, with Gaia House, and finding our way here. So just to be a little patient, because you might not be able to sit in meditation and straight away be very quiet and clear. Generally, the first day, half of the people are really sleepy. And so the first day might just be sitting here, trying to stay awake. And that's also part of the practice. We cannot only practice meditation when we feel on top. You know, we have to practice through being distracted or being sleepy or whatever it is. So really, in a way, accepting ourselves, accepting the circumstances, not being in competition with ourselves or with others, but really arriving here. And in a way, the retreat is very much about cultivating all together the three training of ethics, meditation, and wisdom. And also the two qualities of meditation, of concentration and inquiry. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to cultivate something. In terms of ethics, what I find is useful on a retreat is to find ourselves in this supportive environment and us also contributing to this supportive environment for ourselves and others. So in a way to use opportunity to cultivate harmlessness. Harmlessness to ourselves, harmlessness to others. And to see often in our mind, actually often we are not very kind to ourselves. We can become a little harsh, a little tough, and also toward others. It's very interesting. You're in silence from now on, and you are with all these people you can't talk to, and you don't know where they come from, what job do they do, where do they live, etc., etc. And quickly you have an idea about them. It's fascinating. You think, oh, I like that one. Oh, that one. Oh, I'm not sure about that one. You know? And it's very quickly, we have an idea about them. Mm, they do this because of that. They do that because of that. I mean, generally they do things because of their conditions. So in a way, to try to, to, be, to be harmless to ourselves, to others. And I think this starts with our mind and also, of course, with our body. So trying to explore that dimension in supportive environment of harmlessness. What does it mean to be harmless? in body, 
mind, in the heart. Then there is also generosity. And to me, generosity is really to give ourselves and others the benefit of the doubt. That's really to, to see, to accept our limitation, to accept that, you know, sometimes it won't be so easy to, to sit or it won't be so easy to, to, to be here in the silence and for somebody else too, and to be generous, to say, okay, you know, they, this might be a difficult time, but it might not last. I can, you know, we give ourselves time, give ourselves space. I think we have to be really patient, especially at the beginning of a retreat. Then there is um, respect. And this is, you know, we're really respecting ourselves and really respecting the integrity of others. So to really kind of learning to share the space together in a kind way. And that takes some time. It's interesting to learn to share the space in the silence. So within that, really kind of, you know, respect the space, respect our space, the space of others, also respecting the silence, respecting the regulation of the place in a way. And also kind of really kind of uh, respecting our intention to be aware, to be awake. So kind of using, in a way, I would say the discipline of the schedule, of the way the thing works. And to see that actually it is a help. You know, there will be the, the bell and you know, oh, I have to come here. You don't have to look at your clock all the time. There is a certain discipline which actually is helping us to be together. But within that being together, to cultivate this tolerance for the, for the people and to really have what I would call cultivate a kind atmosphere. So although we are in silence, we can smile at each other, we can look at each other. Also, again, some people will be used to be on retreat and not to look at people. And also to accept, I might smile at somebody and they don't smile, it's okay. Most of the time I'll smile, but if you don't smile, I won't worry about it, you know. It's just whatever happened on the moment. So trying to cultivate a kind, warm atmosphere. We don't have to be serious, to be dour. And at the same time, respecting the silence, respecting the space. Then there is also clarity. What is it that helps us to be clear? To see how, in a way, the meditation will really also help us to see what what I'm telling myself now, is this true? To kind of, in a way, question a little, to kind of see what is it that helps me to be clear? What is it that does not help me to be clear? So it's kind of looking at the different conditions during the day in terms of that. So trying to cultivate this conducing, compassionate, wise atmosphere while we're here. Then there is a schedule, so it will be put out. And it's a, what I would call a middling schedule. So I'm sure for some people it will feel to be a tough schedule, a relatively intense schedule. And, and so that's why we generally don't recommend it for beginners. So if you have a serious beginner, of course you can do it. When I started in Korea, I really was a beginner. And I never sat for more than 30 minutes. And then I had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I had to sit 10 hours a day, and there you sit 50 minutes, 5-0, and then you walk 10 minutes. We tried this once, 
to do a weekend with this 50-10, 50-10, and at the end of it, nobody could walk. So we thought maybe we kind of need to soften this. So then we now do the 30, 35, 35 minutes, 30 minutes, and then we have the 10 minutes walking, and that most people seem to be able to do. But of course, if it is too painful, then, you know, sit on a chair. And of course, if you really have some difficulty, then just come and talk to us. Because the way the interviews are going to be are going to be possibly a little different from what you are used to. Is that we, at some point, we're going, when, once everybody is really settled in their place and we know where everybody is and everything, which will be tomorrow, we'll write down all your names. And then we're going to see you uh, not the first day. Tomorrow it will be a day to really practice, to really settle. And then after on Sunday, we'll start the interviews. And the way they work is that, I don't know, who, if Stephen starts on Sunday, then he will see, let's say, 10 people on that line. Then the next day, I here will see 10 people on that line. And those, this happened in the afternoon, and you will see the timing. I'll, pu I'll put them up anyway, so don't worry about it. But when your time is, you stand up, you go out to the library, and then when you finish after 15 minutes, you come back here, then the next person go. Or if the person doesn't come back, you go anyway, and then you come back if you can, depending on what time it is. So that's the way we're going to do the interviews. So all of you will see one of us at some point. However, if at any point you, for whatever reason, you want to meet us, we are available and we can meet you in other places at other time. There is a teacher wing up on the, sec on the first floor. And so if you leave us a note or you come and tap us on the shoulder, we can find a time for you at other time. So that you will have one interview during the week anyway. But if you need to see us more, there is no problem. Just let us know. We need to know. Don't, don't wait too long. If you really don't feel, oh, this is tough, oh, am I having trouble, mm, don't hesitate. You know, we are here for that, to kind of be there for you. So that's the schedule. You will see how it is. So we generally, uh, in the early morning, we have the longer sitting, 45 minutes. And after that, we'll have the 30 minutes, 10 minutes walking, 30 minutes, 35 minutes, 10 minutes walking, 30 minutes. And then in the afternoon, we'll have the two. We have 30, 10, 35, 10, 35. Then 30 minutes free walking outside. Some people can still walk indoors if they want, but we recommend to people to walk outside so they have a little fresh air. And then again, 30, 10, 30. The walking, again, this will be done at an ordinary pace. And it will take us a good day to all get together walking. Also, we have, <clears throat> we'll have to find a way to see if I think you can be here and then to see if there is enough space for you to go down and turn. If not, we'll rearrange the cushions. So maybe... Yeah, to rearrange just a little bit, like half a foot. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, so maybe at the end, tonight, we kind of might 
but we're not going to walk until after the instruction tomorrow, like around 10, 15, so we have the time to organize it. And so, yeah, the walking, we walk at an ordinary pace, and so we all walk together, and then some people will walk slower than others. And I will, time to time, might say the first day, let's walk a little faster, my line. Or Stephen might say, my line, please, let's walk a little faster. But we'll see how it goes. And then, of course, during the walking period, you could go outside to go to the bathroom. And then you come back and you wait for the person in front of you and you, come, you try to come back to the same place. So at the end, we're all at the right place to sit. And then it's not like kind of a, kind of a Paddington station. And um, time to time, it will flow the walking. And time to time, we'll kind of feel it like it's weird. Down that line, it might suddenly move. And then suddenly we turn and it goes slowly, slowly, slowly. And then it moves faster. And it's just, you're just aware of that. You know, it doesn't matter if we don't walk at the kind of same regular pace. We try what the best we can. Sometimes it works, sometimes it goes a little slower. And we're just aware of our walking. We meditate while we walk. We'll talk more about that. But just to kind of let you know, that's what happens generally. Uh, so that's what I wanted to say. And then I want to talk a little about the silence. So for the silence, some of you are used to the silence, will find it very natural, they, you're used to that. Some people, if they've not been on a silent retreat, for the first day, it might feel really strange. And you might think, these people, they're really unfriendly. I can assure you, people are not unfriendly. Also to know that there is another 15 people doing a long-term retreat on the other side of the house, and these people are not going to look at you, not smile at you, and they're not unfriendly. They're just trying to meditate. And they're doing here for four months or three months or whatever long. And so they generally can be a different level of intensity in their retreat. So if they don't look at you, don't acknowledge you, don't worry. They're not, uh, it's just they're doing that kind of retreat. Us on the group retreat, we can smile and look at each other although some people might choose not to do so again. But the, to see that the silence is part of the conditions, that actually it's only seven days. At the end, on the last day, on Friday morning, you will be able to talk at the breakfast, at lunchtime, and then it will be a revelation of what you thought the person was is not like that at all. It's always interesting. But for six days to really try to be together as a group differently so that we can be together as human beings who have the same intention to cultivate wisdom and compassion and to really stay at that human level and so that we start to communicate but in a different way. We communicate just by being harmless, just by being caring of this human being here now. So trying to see the silence within this context. Also the silence to help us to, have, uh, to become more calm quicker because we have no input and so slowly, slowly the mind becomes calmer, much faster. Also the silence, and this for me is very interesting, is to see that we will be silent 
externally, but internally, my, are we going to speak to ourselves? You're going to describe things, you're going to have imaginary conversation, etc., etc. And then we can see this more clearly. Is it so useful to do this? Because I think a lot of our inner language is about me, is about creating this separate, fixed, isolated self. And so in the silence, we kind of, kind of try to start to, to laugh at this kind of me that we create. And then maybe bring more spaciousness within it, kind of softening it a little. So again, it's a bit, bit more light instead of this constant kind of uh, going round and round. Just bring a little spaciousness to it with the meditation. And the silence also, in a way, to just learn to be with ourselves. And that we don't need anything else to affirm our own existence. And so through the silence, becoming friend with our human nature, human being who is breathing, who wants to cultivate wisdom and compassion. So in a way, seeing the, the silence as something to use, it's a training. And so in a way, you respect the silence not only for yourself, but for the other person as well. But of course, if there is an emergency, of course, you can go to see the managers or you can come to talk to us. It's not kind of like a, a sacred silence. Most, I hope that, you know, 99% of the time you will be in silence. But for whatever reason... You have to go and talk to the manager, to ourselves. It's fine. In terms of the meditation, uh, the first day we will do the, the, the breath meditation. And so I think most of you are familiar with that, just the breath meditation. And then after that, we'll uh, introduce the questioning, the what is is, which is what very much we practiced when we were in Korea. So I thought that just for uh, tonight, we could uh, just for five, 10, 15 minutes, because you might be a little tired after a long journey, we could just do a little meditation. But first, maybe if you could stand up. But before that, are there any questions, like an urgent question? Or is it all relatively clear? If not, if we can just stand up to just stretch the leg for a minute. So if you can find a comfortable posture, and so you, the one sits towards the, toward the wall, the one in the middle uh, face each other, but they don't look at each other. As Stephen says, you kind of, your uh, eyes are slightly looking down at an angle. So you just look 
uh, a little in front of you. First, I'm, I'm going to, to go around to make sure that everybody is seated and everything is uh, Okay, so if you find a comfortable posture, so the back is straight, the shoulders are open, the head, there is a little feeling of elongation, and it's resting lightly on the shoulders. And then gently we rest our attention on the breath. And this you do the way you used to. Some people might just rest their attention on the sensation of the breath coming through the nostril. Some people might focus more on the abdomen expanding, contracting. Some people might follow the whole of the breath. Some people might count the breath. What is important is that we try to be aware of the breath. Breathing in, we are aware of the air coming in. Breathing out, we are aware of the breath, of the air coming out. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.